and welcome to the Media Law Podcast Newscast. I'm Colette and I'm here to discuss the recent delay to the online safety bill until the autumn following the resignation of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister while the race for his successor takes place. This has prompted a debate between free speech and child safety campaigners over the vitality of the bill and questions over the fate of the bill under a new Tory leader. The Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport has denied that the legislation was being dropped and made a point of reiterating that the legislation intends to deliver on the government's manifesto commitment to make the UK the safest place in the world to be online while defending freedom of speech. Digital rights groups have seized on the bill's pausing to urge a rethink. The Index on Censorship has called the bill fundamentally broken, with the CEO, Ruth Smith, telling the BBC the next Prime Minister needs a total rethink. It would give tech executives like Nick Clegg and Mark Zuckerberg massive amounts of control over what we can all say online and would make the UK the first democracy in the world to break encrypted messaging apps and would make people who have experienced abuse online less safe by forcing platforms to delete vital evidence. In response, Andy Burrows, head of child safety online policy at the NSPCC, said that the online safety bill is a crucial piece of legislation that is fundamentally about protecting children from harm and abuse that is taking place on an industrial scale on social media. Any delay will mean families continue to pay the price for the failure and inaction of tech firms who have been allowed to to let harm fester rather than get their house in order. I'm joined by Hannah Ruschen, a Senior Policy and Public Affairs Officer in the Child Safety Online team at the NSPCC, to discuss this delay. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm going to ask you about encryption specifically in a moment, Uh, but perhaps we could start by just putting into context why the delay is so problematic, uh, just by explaining why the bill is so important for protecting child safety online. Yes, so it's really um, obviously devastating to see this delay that was announced um, this week in the bill. So not having um, the second stage of report stage in the House of Commons, which was due to happen this Wednesday, um, which has now been pushed back until after the parliamentary recess in September. So, you know, it's, it's really, really devastating to see this because, you know, Uh, this bill is first and foremost about protecting children and the legislation that is being debated by MPs um, and it's now been delayed is you know the product of four years of NSPCC campaigning for social media sites to take responsibility for that preventable child sexual abuse that we are seeing on platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat and what we do know that is that any further delay will mean more abuse uh, will be experienced by vulnerable children online and you know it's entirely unacceptable that you know delay after delay has meant that children are, you know, are at the forefront of experiencing um, the failures of industry and action in this in this space. And, you know, we've seen throughout the pandemic, but also, you know, as we're coming out of the pandemic, the scale of online abuse is continuing to grow. NSPCC data from recent FOI requests to um, police forces in England and Wales has shown over an 80% increase um, in the last four years in the number of online child sex crimes. And I think that what we really want to highlight here is that um, this delay in the bill, you know, we really need to see this legislation coming forward as quickly as possible and to make sure that we don't have any backpedaling or backtracking to make sure that, you know, children are um, at the very forefront of this, um, this piece of legislation that we've been calling for for a very long time. Could you give us some detail on the specifics in the bill that are to target child abuse online? 
Yes. So um, in the, the legislation that we are um, that we're talking about, we know that there would be uh, specific safety duties introduced uh, to protect children from online harm, um, specifically illegal harms, priority illegal content, as well as legal but harmful content that children can be exposed to online. Um, and that's really, really important because the duty of care principle is modelled on, you know, health and safety legislation, um, really making sure that companies um, have to think about the way that their products are designed to make sure that um, they are preventing abuse rather than just acting um, as a delayed response um, to make sure that children are are given the protections that we know they deserve online. So whether that be for um, removing child sexual abuse material online or making sure that children aren't exposed to inappropriate content um, such as suicide or self-harm content, you know, those are really important measures that um, have been hard fought for to, to make sure that we have a piece of legislation that could protect children in that way. Do you have a response to those who criticise the legal but harmful elements of the bill as being a bit too vague to have any legal substance to them? So actually, last week, um, Nadine Dorries uh, produced a written ministerial statement that outlined some of the priority um, categories of harm. And that was really welcome to see kind of some of the, the harms that we would expect children to be um, protected from online um, are outlined. And we know that in the bill, this would be outlined in secondary legislation. And so, you know, it would be really clear to companies what kind of harmful content they would need to act to online. Um, and just one thing that we've been calling for at the NSPCC um, that we really want to make sure um, that the bill tackles. And luckily, this was addressed by a um, government amendment in the first um, the first section of report stage last week. Um, but we want to make sure that companies have to take action on on breadcrumbing. So what I mean by that is um, when we know that um, abusers use the internet to facilitate child sexual abuse, they can organise in plain sight on places like Facebook groups um, or, you know, in other places on the internet by leaving breadcrumbs of images that do not perhaps meet the legal threshold um, for child sexual abuse imagery so that they can indicate their, you know, their sexual interest and meet others and organise and signpost to other places online where they can find that illegal content. And I think that it's really, really important that the bill covers that because when it comes to protecting children, if we do not have a piece of legislation that can, you know, make sure that sites have to react and respond to uh, stopping um, perpetrators, you know, acting and organising in plain sight to conduct illegal activity online, it's really, really important that we have that covered in the bill. Um, you know, and that's one key example that we want to make sure um, this bill is brought through in September. Before I move on to the uh, encryption debates, I just want to get your response quickly to uh, Kemi Bazanok's tweet earlier this week, criticising the online safety bill, uh, saying that the government shouldn't be legislating for hurt feelings. So it's really important that all candidates to become the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, you know, state their commitment to this piece of legislation without delay. Um, and you know, some of the, the stats that I cited before, but just, just to highlight that, you know, in 2021, UK law enforcement received over 97,000 reports relating to online child abuse. We are continuously seeing these figures going up. Um, you know, this is not about hurt feelings. This is about companies taking responsibility for serious harm that we are seeing on sites, um, on social networking sites 
um, and that need to be covered by this piece of legislation. And, you know, importantly, we know that the public, the general public wants to think about, you know, making sure that we have a piece of legislation that can protect children from this kind of harm. So NSPCC polling with YouGov shows that 72% of people want there to be a legal requirement for social media companies to protect children from abuse taking place on their site. And so this bill is fundamentally about protecting children online, protecting them from preventable child sexual abuse. Um, and, you know, we really need to make sure that um, whatever candidate um, would, would come through really commits to, to that piece of legislation without delay. The index on censorship raised the issue of encryption. Now, there is an argument that end-to-end encryption protects children by protecting them from those who might target them. What's the NSPCC's position on encryption and the potential that the bill opens up for breaking end-to-end encryption? Yes. So uh, just first of all, to highlight that we know that a significant majority of child sexual abuse online, in fact, two thirds of all child sexual abuse happens via private messaging. So 12 million of all the 18.4 million child sexual abuse reports made by Facebook in 2019 related to content shared on private channels. So we know that private messaging is really at the forefront of that child sexual abuse response online. And therefore, whenever we consider encryption, we really need to consider what the impact that that design choice would have on, you know, A, the most vulnerable users of the internet with with children being one in every three internet users worldwide, uh, and B, you know, the ability of law enforcement to identify and detect abuse um, in those environments, because that's such a significant majority of the abuse that we're seeing online. Um, We really welcome the fact that the bill would tackle abuse in both public and private channels. um, And that's, you know, really important to make sure that we have that covered given the scale of abuse that we know can happen. Um, in those private channels Um, you know and currently we know there are a variety of industry standard tools that are used for image scanning technologies um, for example photo DNA which was created by um, Professor Hani Farid at Berkeley in conjunction with Microsoft um, you know that are used across social networks to detect and remove child sexual abuse material so that works in the same way as as malware or antivirus technology Um, and we really want to ensure that photo dna and other successful technologies like that can remain in use in private messaging environments because that's clearly such a vital step in protecting children from online abuse Um, and you know we would say that tech companies have clearly made significant efforts to frame this issue um, in a false binary, you know, the argument that any legislation that impacts private messaging will damage end-to-end encryption and therefore mean that encryption will not work or is broken. And we know that that's a false argument because there are a variety of technologies which allow for continued child sexual abuse material scanning in encrypted environments whilst retaining the, the privacy benefits from, from end-to-end encryption. So just to, to run through some of, some examples of that with you, Apple, for example, has developed its neural hash technology, which allows for on-device scanning of child sexual abuse material. So how this works is it happens before a message is sent and encrypted. So that client-side implementation means that Apple don't learn anything about the images that are being shared unless they match or meet the threshold of a known child sexual abuse material database. So this was expressly designed to preserve user privacy. Um, Another example is homomorphic encryption, which is a way to perform image hashing, um, such as photo DNA, on encrypted data, um, but without decrypting the data itself. So there's no identifying information that can be extracted. No details about the encrypted image are shared, but it allows for those those calculations to be performed on encrypted data. Um, And just to, to really highlight the fact here that, you know, we can move beyond that binary of both, you know, saying that, 
you can't have child protection as well as privacy in an encrypted environment. We know that several of the large tech companies are currently investing in homomorphic encryption technology um, because it would enable them to scan private messages for information to be used in targeted advertising. So, you know, it's impossible to argue but that to argue that this could be done in a privacy-preserving manner for advertising means, but not for child safety, which really indicates, I think, that you know, profit is being prioritised over safety unless we can have that regulation put in place to intervene. Um, and you know, really making sure we can move beyond that binary debate um, and having legislation in place that pushes companies to invest in that technology will be really vital in, in responding to the, the child sexual abuse threat we're seeing online. One final question for you today. Something you've mentioned a couple of times is that this bill is first and foremost about protecting children online. Something that we've discussed a lot in the newscast series, and regular listeners will be familiar with these arguments, is the problems with, uh, say, the exemptions for journalistic content, um, wider issues around media law and the online safety bill that's partly come about because the bill is so big that it's trying to include so many different harms that we see online in one piece of legislation. What would be your response to the argument that smaller piecemeal bits of legislation dealing with particular harms are far more logical and effective ways of dealing with problems like child safety online than the kind of behemoth online safety bill that that maybe tries to bite off more than it can chew? Yes. So, I mean, it's obviously important that um, regardless of, you know, we would still want this online safety bill to, to, you know, continue to go through. But regardless of what happens, it's still important that, you know, there are improvements and changes in legislation that ensure that different kind of ongoing new forms of, of technological abuse are covered by the legislation, for example, around intimate image abuse. But, um, you know, we know that tech companies do not always respond to and remove illegal content online. That's something that we've seen in terms of child sexual abuse. For example, companies, you know, seeking out the highest legal threshold possible, where, example, for example, a child sexual abuse image that doesn't just quite doesn't meet the threshold uh, for an illegal image wouldn't be removed. Um, you know, finding opportunities to game the system, game the legislation to make sure that those images aren't removed. And I think what's really important and really needs to be highlighted in this bill is that it's designed to be a systems and processes based approach. And that way of, of regulating to make sure that we have a clear system in place where um, sites like Facebook, you know, are um, held accountable for responding to uh, the harm that is being experienced online by vulnerable users, whether that be children or others, whether that be specifically illegal harm or when it comes to children, you know, there is a variety of har- um, of harms that children experience online, you know, that are legal but harmful. And that's what's really important about this bill is making sure that, you know, that systems and processes approach allows companies to prioritise the protection and prevention of, of abuse and harmful content, um, you know, rather than just thinking about specifically what what, what is or isn't um, within the legal threshold, especially as we know that as it currently stands, uh, these sites, you know, self-regulation has failed. They have not taken appropriate steps to stop illegal content happening on their sites. And that's what's really important about this piece of legislation that we want to see continued um, as soon as possible after the parliamentary recess. Hannah Rushen, Senior Policy and Public Affairs Officer at the NSPCC. Thank you so much for joining me and for your brilliant insight. 
Thank you, bye. As ever, follow us on social media and we will be back with more newscasts in the weeks to come. Thanks very much, bye.